Welcome to the Don't Die Podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Hello, baby. <laughs> Hi guys. <laughs> hey, no, baby, that's a Hello, Chantilly Lace. I love you guys. Hey, man. So we had a rambunctious time talking politics in the last episode, and now we're a little amped up and we're pumped up, so it's good <laughs> to just steer it right into the opiate crisis. So Mike brought up a thing on the break mm-hmm. that $18 billion has been allotted. I don't think it's been... It's been authorized by Senate. The con- Congress's budget had $18 billion for to deal with the opiate crisis. I believe they're just going to, they've cut Medicaid, so then they'll just replace that Medicaid money with the $18 billion and act like they were heroes. Because, because who has the, the opiate crisis? Millions of Medicaid uh, uh, yeah, people yeah, in America, sure. right? Right. Oh, yeah. So I don't, I don't expect that solution. But I got some good news that I just heard four days ago, last Thursday. It's Monday. Let's backwards. Sunday, Saturday, Friday, <laughs> Thursday. Five days ago, I got great news. Wait, before the good news, do you think that the Bernie, that what Bernie Sanders said, exactly what I was saying, was that is it anything irrelevant that they should go after this opioid crisis like they did the tobacco? Yeah, that's what's ha- that's you're right on. Mike's got an intuition like nobody's business, Chuck. Let me tell you. I think it's correct. I think No, that's what I'm going to. Vilify, no, wait till I tell vilify. you what I was invited to okay. on March Whoa. 2nd. Sorry to interrupt. On March 2nd in San Francisco, I will be the keynote speaker at the Opioid Conference of Lawyers involved with the Big Pharma lawsuits. Guess okay. who is going to be there? The representatives for Purdue Pharmacies. Oh. Guess really? what they've decided. They, yeah, it sounds like they're admitting some responsibility in what's happened and they want to help. Wait, I Why? swear to God. And and somehow by accident I'm the guy talking. This is like mind blowing. This is <laughs> like a serendipity. this is like a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. Oh my god, that's great. So so it looks like it looks like they've now you know, it's everywhere. The state of Washington, the municipality of of the Seattle County is suing. Uh, the state of Kentucky is suing. Is that why they're doing it to get out in front of? Uh, they're trying lawsuits? to get out in front, which I'm not against. No, if no, gonna, no. If if Purdue's going to do the right thing and get out in front of this and stop denying it and start helping, I want to be the the person that helps them help, because I know how to not waste eighteen billion dollars, unlike the motherfuckers in the Medicaid system, <laughs> right? And it right. seems like a drop in the bucket, eighteen billion. Yeah, it's nothing really, but well, I mean, it's something. You know, I like the old do politicians. Good. One billion here, one billion there. All of a sudden, you're talking about some real money. Eighteen billion dollars <laughs> is some real money, but yeah. but if you're going to deal with the opiate crisis with the existing systems, with the absence-based treatment, or either or or harm reduction, rather than so, I brought this up in the conference call for the thing. Proper assessment. Remember when we were in school, Chuck? There's yes. a thing called assessment. It's part of the core functions. It no longer exists. Oh. Because you're coming to my rehab, regardless of what you need. 
because I found you on the internet. Okay. That's what started to happen. People are not being properly assessed and, and properly placed. And when I was taught assessment and referral of clients, right? The core functions, I don't know, mm -hmm. I forget them all, but I know that assessment is the first one, right? Well, it's huge to see yeah. if they're a fit for your place or yeah, if they need a higher level of care. Yeah, but nobody does that anymore. Or lower level who of does care. The, who, who, who do you know? In, uh, because I don't know of anybody in L.A. And I know some really good people like Evan and Jared and Paul, my friend that has Bel Air. The, the economic burden of having a rehab and being effective and competitive, you can't afford to be sending clients to other treatment centers right because every patient is so is so valuable in keeping your employees employed but i'll give you an example at allo we spend eighty thousand dollars a month on marketing right okay. there's 106 full-time employees do you know how much money that is oh yeah that's that's why i got out i just i told evan and jenna i can't i can't sleep at night i can't because I'm not going to let these fucking people down. And all I do is stay up worrying to two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning that we're not going to get enough clients in December to pay, to make payroll. I can't, I was getting ulcers. So I just said, we got to figure out a way for me to just be involved in clinical and marketing. And I don't want, I don't want to be a part of ownership. And we figured out a way to do that. Right. Okay. Because I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. So, so the point being proper assessment, when, when a client came to Los Encinas in all of the late nineties and, and the two thousands, when I worked there, um, if it was a 20 year old brat who was telling everybody to fuck off, we immediately transferred them to cry help immediately. We weren't thinking like, cause our overhead, we had like 10 employees and 22 beds. We weren't, you know, we we're making $800 a day and, and, you know, we just wanted everybody to get sober and make a living. It wasn't a for-profit industry like it became, mm -hmm. right? So, so we regularly sent all young people to cry help. And, and then I started using it as a threat. I was like, dude, you either start fucking abiding by the rules and being respectful of staff and do what you're supposed to do and do your assignments, or are you going to cry help? Have you ever heard of cry help? <laughs> Google it. <laughs> Google that shit. Google this is before Google. <laughs> it's got a yard like a, it's got a, yard like a prison. But, yeah. but it, it made clients, you know, uh, comply with Lost and Seenus also, right? And, and, uh, a lot of times, uh, uh, you know, f females that need long-term treatment, we put in this place called CASA, right? We, hmm. And we would purposely save their insurance for them. Because, like, you're going to be here for, like, 12 days and you need six months treatment. We're going we're gonna to give you, we're going to bring you over to CASA de las Amigas, it's called, in Pasadena. And they're a great program. And we think that's where you would have the most success and they're much more grassroots and, and you'll be able to be there for a minimum of three months, which is what you need, minimum, mm -hmm. right? Okay. So I worked with Dr. Drew in the perfect environment where yes, we properly assess clients over their detox three to five days, seven days. And when it was determined, they're not, they're not like, they, they're not Los Encinas material because there's, there was a lot of freedom at Los Encinas we didn't, you know, uh, 
There's no fences around Los Encinas. If you didn't want to be there, we were glad to discharge you, and it was no, no, it wasn't punitive or anything. We only mm -hmm. wanted mature, grown adults who wanted to be there and wanted to get better. That was Dr. Drew's mantra. And we're doing a disservice to keep people here just to, you know, just have a head on a bed. Heads on bed. Right? So, so that's gone now. I, I don't care how righteous you say other places are. That, that does not exist. Not when you're spending so much money trying to find 10 or 12 clients every three weeks. It, it just can't exist, right? Because of the competitive nature and the for-profit nature of rehab. And this is across the country. This isn't just Southern California, right? right? Um, they, I mean, I, last year, I think I told you, there was a guy paying drug addicts a thousand bucks a head to leave our treatment center. Right. A thousand dollars a head. Yeah. giving it to drug addicts right. and, and saying come to our rehab and giving them dope so they'll test well if you on give them a thousand dollars what do you think yeah, they're yeah, no, i mean they, they, they flat out they flat out were giving them dope mike, so they can test dirty mike no matter what generation of drug addict you are if you give a sober miserable an eight day sober miserable drug addict a thousand dollars what are they gonna that do that is a lot <laughs> of money to give somebody to get high with <laughs> so I think that, to be honest, I think they gave him 500 and said, we'll give you 500 on the other end when you get After there. 10 days or something. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. I, I never was privy to what it, actually how it was paid out, but I knew the kids got cash money upon leaving our treatment center. And they get it on a card. Did they get it on a card? They get it a on credit a credit card. card? They get it on one of those prepaid credit cards, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So anyways. That way they can send it to them in the mail. Oh, God. So anyways, in an industry like card. that, Chuck, a gift card. It's going to be hard to 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 have proper assessment and proper placement. So what I propose to to this new movement whether it's the the Trump administration that's 18 billion dollars or Purdue and whatever billions of dollars they're going to lay out to avoid all this litigation, proper assessment, right? And, hmm. and we've got to do something about insurance shopping. So I'd like to spearhead a law that says, hey, you can't move from one rehab center to the other every th 13 days, every 15 right. days, right? right? So my, my argument is that the insurance companies could instill a law here in California very easily. Just in California, that's like 30% of the addiction market in America. That you, if you leave a treatment center you have to return back to that treatment center and complete that program before you can go before, before you can go to another one right so you have to have some sort of authorization of completion just like the courts the courts do it mm -hmm. if you if you're sentenced to 90 days at allo and you leave at 22 days and they pick you back up they say go back to allo or the insurance industry <laughs> needs to say yeah. go back to wavelengths go back to uh, uh, Southern California addiction centers. They cannot allow people to go from one rehab to the next four days later. They have to go back to the original rehab. That will clear up all the body brokering. That will clear up all this corruption. Excellent, excellent point. Like case in case in point, I have a, a client who's been with us. Uh, he's been with us a couple of weeks now. But six days in, their insurance case manager, their ICM. Is, is contacting me saying, what's going to be different this time? And I said, 
I don't know what's going to be different this time. I've never worked with him before. You're the one that has allowing all the, him to go from yeah, like I, shitty I, rehab I, to shitty rehab for the last year. He's been in, you know, 10 different places. Oh my God. Can you imagine that, Mike? Okay. So his insurance paid a thousand dollars a day for him to be in 10 different rehab centers in Southern California in 2017. That's that, more money than I That is just fucking believe. criminal. That's crazy. It, it's ridiculous. Well, and then, okay, so I understand their frustration. Yeah, they're frustrated. And I also understand that this guy's telling me all the right answers because he knows the right answers at this yeah. stage in the game. You know what? This time, I really mean it. This time, I know it's about saving my life. Uh, this time, I know I, I, I want to find work as soon as possible. Can I give tips to the parents at home? So I said that a hundred times. Mm-hmm. I'd go back to meetings and they'd say, what's different? I'd come up with, a, you know, I believed it. Like it's different because now I haven't seen my son or now I'm in court trouble or now it's different now. Mm-hmm. When I really got sober, people kept asking me what's different. And I said, I don't know. Nothing. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> right? If you have an answer as a lie. Um, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's I not, had an answer every time for what was going to be different this time. And I always relapsed. The last time, and I haven't relapsed for 22 years, I, I, I said, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm right. just taking it one day at a time. I don't fucking know. It's like an alibi with too many facts. <laughs> an alibi with too many. Oh, uh, we left the house at 902. Uh, that it took us about seven minutes to get down the road. Yeah, I'm really motivated. I feel differently. I'm motivated. I'm totally to 10 motivated. Out of 10. I'm motivated, motivated to 10 out of 10. <laughs> so, uh, that's definitely alternative. My, my cravings are a one. My anxiety yeah. is a one. I my now I understand. I used to always say, "No, now I get it. Now I'm gonna, I'm really digging into the steps." That was my term: digging into the steps. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm, I'm digging gonna, in. I'm gonna get me I'm, a sponsor. With both I'm feet. Gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna do the steps. Blah blah blah. blah. So so anyway, so I'm talking to. The, I'm willing to work the steps. That was my other one. I'm willing. What's different now? I'm willing to work the steps. Mm. I'm I'm a hundred percent committed to the program. Right. right? And then I just four days later. <laughs> So you know, I'm I'm able to look at I'm able to look at this person and say, listen, you've been you've been uh, crying wolf. I I understand why they don't want to hear you. I want to help you as best I can. I don't know how much we can do. And unfortunately for the business, what it looks like will end up happening is you'll get denied for the that, whole thing. Is that will no? Either, you'll get denied we'll for the get whole thing, or they're going to put him on it's an OP. Oh, OP, where they're paying for three hours of treatment a week. Yeah, and you're supposed to house and, and feed we're, him. And we will, we will house him. That's ridiculous. We He's will a house grown him. man. Let right. him fucking sleep on the beach. Exactly. But I mean, we, we will How many him. people you know slept on the beach? Mike, do you know Joseph, uh, Joseph that ran the veil? Oh, uh, yes. He got sober sleeping. You ready for this? On somebody's kitchen floor, linoleum floor, underneath their kitchen table and going to the log cabin. They say you can get sober under any conditions. Yeah, That's what but it's now, but now drug addicts can't get sober unless they have a place to live and food. And some, <laughs> and and we need security. I need to know I'm going to be able to be here for 90 days. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> you don't know what it does to my anxiety, man. Oh my god, anxiety is going to go through the roof. I and then my willingness goes down, mm. and my cravings right. go uh, up. And and you know, and the thing, the thing that kills me is that you know we. This is the new, okay, there is this new barrier. The good thing is we were firm believers in 
bringing Suboxone down and tapering people by the end of stay so there's none for weeks before they go. Hopefully several weeks before they go. Because yeah. the Suboxone maintenance, we know what that is. But you can't get a sober living to take somebody who's on Suboxone because right. it's an opiate. It's a synthetic opiate. They don't want you to bring drugs into their house. They want people to be sober there. So if I'm and in... That, you're talking it, about the $500 one. I'm talking about any of them in Orange County that we can find to send people to they don't want to take people on Suboxone. The $5,000 a month ones. I'm though. sure they do, but our people don't have it. That's why they're hanging on to us by tooth and nail. Just, I was just thinking of all the West Side Sober Living. They're all $5,000 a month. They'll all take Suboxone. I, I bet. You know, and that's the thing. If I was smart, I'd be investing in Sober Livings that take people on Suboxone, Suboxone Maintenance. And I would I would charge a reasonable amount, just enough money to be able to put my kid into a private private school and to buy a house instead of a townhome, yeah. and to get a new Harley instead of my 1998. You know what I mean? That's that's where I, the money that's where the money is, but that's not that's not where the answer is. But here's for me. here's what here's so here my, here's my vision, the hope and the and the and the good news. So if somehow powers that be like Doctor Drew or Warren, or you and I, or or Evan and Jared, or Paul, or Shelly, or Louisha, all the people that have been working in this industry for 20 years, say, listen, not all treatment models fit all patients. You need proper assessment by, by very experienced KDAC counselors, not MFTs, to say, you know, this is a candidate for Suboxone maintenance for a few years because this kid is bipolar, crazy out of his mind, doesn't care whether he lives or dies. He needs to be safe. He needs to be in one of these places that you could provide. Suboxone, he needs a safe, a safe accountable environment, and he needs to be on low-dose dose Suboxone, 4 milligrams, 8 milligrams, for, for, let's just say, for a year and then see how it goes to be reevaluated right hmm. it's not throwing someone away for life it's just saying this kid's od this kid has been bought back to life on, by narcan six times in the last 18 months hmm. this kid's gonna die he is too stupid to live so let's put him <laughs> in this then you take the 48 year old alcoholic businessman and you say hey this guy could benefit from betty ford betty ford's always been very successful at clients like this or hazelden and let's let's that and those people usually have the insurance that will qualify for them to go there and then you have the rock and roll 30 year old you know guy could go to malibu treatment and the the you know what i always typically think when i think of warren is is a certain type of male client that warren is great at communicating with Right, we used to send wavelengths a ton of clients for Map. I don't know if you if Warren's told you that. He was no. always good with like, like tough guy, biker, wannabe guitar player kind of guys. He profoundly changed those people into willing servants of 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 sober servants of Alcoholics Anonymous. And you never saw anybody very good at those types of people. They didn't really fit in in the in the fancy exodus it was called in LA. They didn't fit in in cry help, right? They didn't fit in in, in uh, Hazelden, Betty Ford. They always fit in with Warren when he had the Long Beach place and he had a Malibu place. It was just like, Buddy would always say, give this to Warren Boyd. 
(laughs) (laughs) And then six months later, we'd see the guy and it'd be like, whoa, that guy really turned. So everybody gets the clients that they're most effective at treating, right? And then, and clients get properly assessed and placed in the places they could have the best success, a chance at success. Hmm. If you do that, you won't waste so much money on treatment, right? The bratty kids who go in and out, in and out, in and out, if they're in no danger, I think they should be in cry help. I don't think they should be in Malibu. I don't think they should be living in fancy rehabs and big houses eating salmon. They don't even like salmon. <laughs> we had salmon. We had salmon at Aloe when we had just one house. And this this bratty rich kid, he's sitting there and he goes, Is this all there is to eat? I was like, it's fucking salmon for lunch. What planet are you living on? What a fucking asshole you are. And he's like, You have no right to talk to me that way. I go, I have every right to talk to you that way. And he goes, you know, I don't, I don't think I like it. I don't think I like it here. I know a lot of other people think you're cool, but I don't. I go, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> you either, you, the gracious thing to do is, I, you know, just, just eat around the salmon. Don't eat the salmon. Have a salad. Have some garlic bread and be pleasant and be respectful. It doesn't take that much. It doesn't take that much to, you gotta yeah. make a, this is fucked up, I don't eat salmon, I don't like I, Like this. I care, that's a, you know, that's my thing. Right. And, and wait, did I ask? Wait, wait, I care because, tell me why and, I care. And at this time, you know, there's all the stuff they can eat anytime they want, like bologna right. or turkey. Refrigerator's or, full of food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, this is fucked, man. I gotta make a sandwich. Salmon, salmon for lunch at a rehab center. Yeah. And the guy was complaining about it. That's the kid brought up by the kinder, gentle apparently. (laughs) Well, you know, that's all. That that didn't teach their child, like, you're not the center of the universe. Hey, if there's something served that you don't like, don't be disrespectful. Don't be rude. Go get yourself a bologna sandwich or go or eat a salad or or. I'm sorry. That's what's for dinner. You don't have to eat it. It was lunch. No, but I mean dinner that, was like r- that, prime but, rib. But that's no. But dinner that, was prime rib. Nah, Chuck. I, that's the dinner at my house. The dinner <laughs> at my house, even for the little guy, is you don't like the noodles. That's okay. That's what's for dinner. Yeah, it, it, it's okay if they're hungry. They won't die missing a meal or having a light meal or just eating around it, like what you're saying. Eating the other stuff. I would be embarrassed. I would anytime food is served that I don't like, I'm embarrassed. Because I want, I don't want to stand out or complain. You know what I mean? <laughs> this is the paradox that is you. <laughs> it's true. I, I like you know, get around it somehow and try to cover it up with mashed potatoes. Mm, that's delicious. Mm, oh. mm. Yeah. <laughs> Yummy. I got a, I got a great wimpy Bob story from jail. Listen to this. So I'm there day two, day two on after getting out of the pill module in medium north and wayside, right? And there's a guy I know, Dominic, from in there, right? Friends with my girlfriend. And there was this other actor guy, Rodney. And so I'm sitting at the table with them eating the lunch, apple, fucking mush shit with noodles and and meat. You know that stuff? Like the twirly noodles with with a carrot. A, you know boiled <laughs> carrot and like they just slop it on your thing right mm-hmm. and i'm sitting there and a guy walks by african-american guy walks by and grabs my apple and i was just like oh shit 
And I sat there, and the two two guys that had been in there a long time, they're like, you got to do something. You got to do something. Fuck it, Bob, you got to do something. And I go, what? I don't give a fuck about an apple. They go, no, no, no. You have to do, you have to do something right now. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm not going to do it. They go, you're going to regret if you don't do something. So the guy had walked and sat down at a table. I walked over, grabbed the apple back, and he stood up. And then I did my Bob fighting with him, like wrapping my arms around his legs while he tried to kick me. Then I I crawled under the table so he couldn't get me. But I did something. Good for you, Bob. I thought you were going to go, here's another apple. (laughs) You you go have another apple. That's not wimpy at all. That's very brave. Brave is doing what you don't want to do. But I I had heard that the, 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 you know, because it's so racist in jail. Most people don't know. It's the most racist place yes. in the world. Well, it's very segregated, yes. Segre- no, they're all, everybody's together. They're just in gangs hating each other, right? So, so. It's a microcosm the, of the world. So I had, so. I had, uh, and I'd seen mm-hmm. a little bit of it in the booking. I was like in, in the uh, emergency room place pill module for like eight days or something. So I'd seen it in there. I seen like the race stuff, like. They were they weren't fucking with me because I had diarrhea and throwing up and whatever. They kind of steer clear of including you in their racial games, right? So so it's just so fucked up in jail. It's so fucked up. So I knew that white guys were gonna beat me up if I didn't do something, right? It's called regulating or something. They they like you didn't stand up or whatever well, yeah well, you're making the whole car look bad so you you've got to be you're making with. the whole car look bad is that a term yeah the car is the car is the group of people the classification according to race let's yes why classification white, according black, to race Mexican, car right right well there's two types of mexicans I, see, chicanos and border brothers they're totally different are they fight american they born, fight amongst they each don't other really, they don't really fight but that's who i get housed with because the the with the whites which isn't even a thing which was made up you you know you, you woods know. aren't they called woods yes uh but i mean so it's like you got the do you think woods? our clients understand this world they've never been arrested they've never been in jail like uh, I, like uh, what's funny is satisfied with salmon <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah you know, yeah, you, you know, you, there's just no room for um, I'm open-minded. There's no room for, and I, I'm fortunate that I never had, to, I never caught more than 90 days, you know, um, because that that is a way I see people come out of that and it takes them years to unlearn some of that stuff. Because well, it yeah, isn't. no, I had a friend that went in for three years and he came out and he was racist. Like I'd never had a friend be, right? And me and Anthony, a bunch of people just surround him for like six months and just browbeat him. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? What the fuck is wrong with you, dude? Don't mm-hmm. say that. You know, he said some of the most racist shit I had ever heard in my life. And this is a guy I had known my whole adult life. And he, just three years in there, two and a half years in there, and he just turned into this racist monster, right? And he, we deprogrammed him. It literally, literally no, was a deep that is That is exactly what you would have to do because it is a programming. It's a total brainwashing. It's a total breakdown and restart. And it's a breakdown. It's a breakdown and a restart when like I'm watching and it, talk about long-term effect. I'm watching that uh, 
that Atlanta show, uh, 60 days in or whatever it is, or 90 yeah, yeah. days in. Yeah. I forget what it's called, but you know, we're watching that. They I'm, forget that they're police officers. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I'm watching, I'm going, why are they got the white guys in with the black guys? That wouldn't work. It works there to a point. I mean, you see that there's politics. There's politics between the gangsters, the the bloods that are black, and then the blacks. And there's politics between the whites and the blacks and the bloods. And it goes like, and there's and there's Mexicans in there too. And it's just like, what the? How is that working? Why are they not killing each other? Because when Atlanta, see, yeah, in Atlanta jails, yeah. So when I see that, it just doesn't. It like fries my circuits because it doesn't make sense that you would put the white guys have not only that but sharing a cell. Yeah. With the black guy. That doesn't make sense to me. I don't know how that works because the mentality going in is you need to stick to race. I don't care if we grew up together. If I'm black and you're white and we go to jail, we can't know you. Know, it doesn't matter. I know. I was told I when the that. shit goes down, all you need to know is that you're, you're white. That's all you need to know. And it was like, oh, well, wow. I, I didn't know that that applied to sports. So when we went out on the yard, <laughs> it? I died. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Later oh, on, okay. I think I've told this story before. I went out on the yard, and I've never been no. a handball aficionado. I don't even know how to play the game. So the woods are playing handball on one side of the handball cement thing, and the, the Mexican guys are playing on the other side, right? And then the black guys are playing basketball. So I just thought, I'm going to play back. I only know how to play basketball. I don't know how to play handball. I don't lift weights. I'm going to play basketball. So, you know, and they were shocked when I walked over and then, but I showed this was 20 years, 25 years ago. So I could play basketball still. I played in high school. So I'm playing basketball and they're like, Larry Bird, Larry Bird. <laughs> right? And so I played for like the hour that you're on the yard basketball with the black guys, the only white guy. Right. Later on that evening, I found out what a mistake that was <laughs> yep. from my fellow white brothers. They came over to my bunk and pulled the, just like in a movie, pulled the, my blanket down over me and started hitting me with these soaps and socks. Yep. And then made the statement, don't ever play with those N-words ever again. And I was like, got it. And I remember I got cut by one of the soaps on my eye and... And I didn't, I wanted to look good in court. I didn't want to seem like I was a troublemaker. <laughs> right? Well, uh, then why did you force them to educate you? <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. Well, I know, had no idea of how many rules there are in the LA County Jail. I don't know that they wanted to do that, but they had to for your own good. <laughs> really? Yeah. We were playing had, basketball. You were making the whole car look bad. <laughs> the car looked bad. So anyways, I just think people need proper assessment and be placed into the thing. I also believe the courts need to be involved. Heroin should be illegal again. I know it hasn't been for quite a long time here in Southern California. As far back as four years ago, I had a client nodded out on, on Lost Hills Road, which is out in Malibu 101 Freeway. He's nodded out in possession. of. He bought a quarter gram and he did half of it. So he had a eighth of a gram of heroin he had a syringe he was nodded out in his car the la county sheriff's department pulled up behind him get him out of the car whatever took him to the sheriff's station and called his parents to come and pick him up yeah that's when heroin is not illegal there's not a great motivation for a large segment of the addict population to take recovery seriously. And that includes myself. 
-hmm. I only took it seriously because of the courts, right? And that, I wasn't saying that, that it has to be for everybody, but when you do something wrong consistently and you're so cavalier and you're shooting drugs at stoplights like I was, I would shoot speedballs at stoplights. You know, I'd be in the right-hand lane. The I'd be in the right-hand lane in case something went wrong. <laughs> Good to see you had it thought out. <laughs> yeah, because if you're in the right lane, you're almost in the parking lane. You might as well be parked. Yeah. Yeah. And and I remember Gibby was like, Bob, you can't shoot drugs at stoplights. And I was like, yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. Watch. <laughs> yeah, Watch. Can. It goes like this. You just put more <laughs> coke in than heroin. You'll be fine. So, so when somebody's living that dangerous to others... They need to go to jail. We now have this thing, no drug addicts because they got a disease. They shouldn't go to jail. It had nothing to do with my disease. It had everything to do with my irresponsibility and my inconsideration of other people, of children walking to school. That needs mm -hmm. punishment. That needs the society to be safe from me. Right? Yeah. They don't do that anymore. Yeah, you know, that has changed. That has I, changed a lot. It changed, it, like, was it your son that I picked up at LA, at Orange County Jail? No, no, it was a friend of mine, Eric. So Eric calls me, he goes, my kid's getting an or And I was like, it was like 12 o'clock at night. And he's a really good friend of mine. I love him. And um, and he goes. Oh, and you thought he, it was me. He uh -huh. goes, he got, yeah, it was, well, he's another KDAC counselor guy. And I, I said, how does this involve me, Eric? And he said, can you go get him? And I was like, and do what with him? And he said, and drive him to Hedrick's place because he had a free scholarship at Hedrick's and, uh, with San Juan Capistrano. Hmm. And I said, all right, tell him to meet me at the Walgreens across from, you know that Walgreens across from the Santa Ana jail? You go down the back street on the... the I don't know Orange County that well. I just know there's a Walgreens <laughs> right near where you get out of jail. <laughs> I said, tell him to meet me at Walgreens. I'll be there in like 45 minutes. So I get there and the kid gets in my car. The first thing he says, is, fucking cold. I've been waiting a long time. Not, hey, Bob, thanks for coming and getting me. What a day. Hey. Yeah. Uh, it's cold. I've been waiting a long time. I was like, I'm glad you're out. So he had, <laughs> he had... He had, uh, he had two different possession charges in two months, and he only served like thirty six hours. And they OR'd him and released him, and and the charges are gone. When you're walking around with heroin and syringes, and and you get caught one time, and then a month later you don't give a fuck so much, you get caught a second time. Mm -hmm. You should serve more than thirty six hours. It's just my belief about drugs right? right and so i drive him i drive this kid at midnight from san Ana jail to san juan capistrano he asks if we can go to mcdonald's mm. i would never have the gall to ask that no like i know there's food at the rehab i've been to 20 rehabs now i know there's food there i'm gonna ask the guy who my dad got up in the middle of the night because he didn't want to come the kid knew everything he knew how I, you know, he called his dad and the dad said, I'm not yeah, picking you know, up. Hey, hey, Bob, thanks for fucking picking me up in the middle of the night. I know he it did, must suck. He did, he said it at, on a certain point, but, but not after McDonald's. Like, thanks a lot, right? So I drive into San Juan Campestrano 
And I don't know if you've ever been to Hedrick's Rehab. It's no. beautiful. It's so fucking not. beautiful. It's this old adobe house up on the hill in San Juan Capistrano. You know Dr. Hedrick? No. He's a great doctor, addiction medicine doctor in Dana Point. So Yeah, Dr. Daniel Hedrick. Yeah, he's a great guy. How do you know him, Mike? I just do. From <laughs> Wait a second. Mike, Answer Mike the just, question, Mike Mike just Mark. knows everybody. <laughs> Answer Trace, the question. Trace Vistas, I think. Is yes, that's a great rehab, right? What are you talking about, Mike Mart? Well, what do you think? I'm just like some uh, good-looking <laughs> yes. guy just back here behind the camera. Some turnip. <laughs> some good-looking turnip, yes. Let, let, let's get this straight. Chuck, who's worked in treatment for 10 years in Orange County, doesn't know Dr. Hedrick or Trace Vistas, but Mike Mart, a rock and roll guitar player, podcast producer, knows Trace Vistas? I, I What's we, wrong with this conversation we, we, we right now? Trade, we need to trade places. But let me t let me tell you something. So this place is beautiful, dude. It's a <laughs> it's a get this two story white adobe house overlooking the ocean. Hmm. Beautiful. The girl who is the tech walks out. She looks like a model, and the kid's sad sacking and getting his backpack and he's got his negative attitude. And I was just like, oh my god! And it turns out he left five days later. Good for right? him. And back in Orange County Jail again. Good, right? You know, but so we need, but we need Orange County Jail and LA County Jail to mean something. I had, I had really petty, petty charges. Really, joyriding and possession of drugs. I was in there for two and a half months. Do they call it that anymore? That's great. I love it. That's just. I was originally charged with grand theft auto, and then when you have the keys and you know the owner. And it's a dispute between you and the owner. It's then called joyriding. I, I like that term. But it's, a, it's just a different, it's still a felony. It's just a D-class felony or something. I don't know. Right? I've never heard of that. I've never heard of anybody getting charged for it. But If you have the keys and you know the owner. Huh? Joyriding. Because like that is the funnest ride you could get. Is when you <laughs> steal a car and you're fucking driving around and you're all high and shit. That is a, that's a fucking joy. Mike, you act like I'm a person who has first-hand knowledge of this. Yeah, I did. I've done that. <laughs> and it's fun. Oh, man. I hope the police aren't listening. <laughs> oh, my God. I have woken up. I woke up one time at my house in Santa Ana, and I lived there a long time ago. And I had a big willow tree in the yard, and it hung all the way down. I mean, you know how big they are, right? Yeah. And I couldn't remember how I got home, so I was make, make, going about my day playing guitar and making breakfast. And I went, <laughs> oh, shit, man. And I, I had this little inkling. So I went out, and I looked. I parted the trees, and there was this Volkswagen underneath the bucket that I had stolen the night before. And I had no idea how I even <laughs> hotwired it and got it home, but I knew how to hotwire cars. So. You got to get that off your property right away, don't you? Oh, I, I took the engine out. I called it home. <laughs> whoa, so whoa. We pulled the engine out, and then we both pushed it around the corner in front of these other gang member guys' house and said, like, oh, we'll come pick it up later because, uh, you know, it's out of gas. We'll just be back. Oh, my God. You blame the gang members for the stolen car. Somebody they, went to prison. Prison for Mike Mars. No, no, no. They we came back. We drove back around, and they had pushed it in their garage. So it was like you know, it was a recycling kind of a thing. <laughs> What'd you do with the motor? What I don't know. We put it. In Sold some it. Fucking dune buggy. Or was that with shit. your dad, or was that just uh, you solo? No, that was just me. Wasn't your dad a big Volkswagen guy? Yeah, he was. Yeah, I remember that. I'm impressed that you're a mechanic. Mike Martin, Mike Martin knows how to take care of business. Want to hear a great Mike Martin story? Okay. So Thelani Spencer, we're drawn to her. Uh, no one wants Mike there. <laughs> right. 
For the obvious reason. Because I'm a drunken. Well, this is before he actually person. joined the album. This is after the second album. And he was just my friend, and we had written the song anymore. So I said, Mike should just come on tour with us, and he and I will play an acoustic set. And Pete's like, I don't think that's a good idea. And I said, I think it's a great idea. <laughs> I like Pete. And so me and Mike, so the van breaks down. We're, we're, heading, we're heading from Albuquerque, New Mexico, where we played Bow Wow Records. There wasn't even a club in 1987 in Albuquerque. You played at the record store. Then we're driving to... The next gig is in, in El Paso, Texas, right? Okay. And we're driving, and the van breaks down. And so, obviously, they nominate the two most irritating guys to go walk to if the gas station. If you remember correctly, it got a flat tire. Flat and tire. That's when we found out that Chris... Did not put a spare. Oh, tire. there wasn't a spare. Yeah, because oh. because you want to know why it had a spare, but then the equipment didn't fit. It in. didn't fit, so I took it <laughs> so out. So he left the spare tire All at right. my house. <laughs> that did a lot so, of good, didn't it? So that's so, how our so they, went. you know, me and Mike were drunk, and they wanted us to leave, and and I just said, well, we're gonna just walk and find a gas station. And they were like, good, go, and. So we just started walking. Mike was so convinced because he heard a truck driver's story where when a truck driver gets pulled over and they have always are on meth, according to Mike, all truck drivers are on meth, they throw the bindle out the window yeah, so, so that there's walking, tons of meth along the side of every uh, highway in America. Just keep in mind. It took field. us two and a half hours to walk five miles because he was picking up any piece of paper, <laughs> thinking it was a <laughs> bindle <laughs> of oh, methamphetamine. I never know. It could have been. <laughs> you, you know, you, you can't. <laughs> well, you was, don't. You can't win if you don't no, play, Mike. Not, I, I hear you. This is you not exaggerated. Play. He was so convinced we were going to find crystal meth along the side of I forty or I ten. So we didn't. So I looked, and there's nothing for miles. We'd walk miles and miles, and I looked, and I saw a red sign, and I go, that is a Budweiser sign. And it was miles away, like but away from the oasis. highway in the dirt. So we started walking. We ran across the highway, jumped over the fence, walk and walk and walk, <laughs> and sure enough, it was a Bob Forrest knows a Budweiser color sign when he sees it. it it's a bar. We go in there. We just ordered drinks. We didn't even try to get it <laughs> Oh, no. So and they're looking for us. We go in, and there's this there's this middle aged woman. There's she's the only one there, and she's way down at the end of the bar, and she's got her hand underneath the barn, and she says, uh, "Can I help you, boys?" And I said, "Budweiser, yeah, do please." Re- do you remember that, Bob? It was a converted railroad car. Yeah, it was an old. Took, so it was real long and real, and she was she had her hand in the on middle a, of New Mexico. Hand on a shotgun. It was called Mirage, New Mexico. Mike remembers. And there's one thing there. There's a bar <laughs> and a junkyard. So that's two things, I guess. But <laughs> she had her hand on a shotgun the entire time. Is it was it one of those shotguns on a swivel where you can just <laughs> well, like I don't know, but you know what her hand never came out from underneath that bar. I bet it was on a swivel. Well, I just had a few beers and then I remember Pete Weiss and Chris Hansen walking in going, Where the fuck have you guys been? And I was like, Right here. <laughs> Right here the whole time. Right here. So then we get to El Paso and we've missed playing. Like we were opening for, get this, who were we opening for? Metal bands. Remember that, Mike? It was opening for like Megadeth. And we had missed a gig and we needed that money so bad. 
and we missed it because me and Mike went to a bar and drank. And, and camped out. And then we didn't have any money to go on further to Austin. Oh. But uh, luckily we had Louis Matthew was our roadie at the time, and he had a credit card. Credit card Louis. Credit card Louis. The head she's known as. He was 16 years old. Here's how these guys got into show business. And he had a lifetime career in show business. Uh, me and Rob Graves are walking down Melrose by Soap Plant. And I hear Thelonious Monster, like the first album. And I look and this little kid is playing it on a ghetto blaster. And I walked over to him. I go, that's a good band you're listening to. And he goes, that's your band. And I go, yeah. And I struck up, he was 16 years old. I told him you should drop out of high school and work for Thelonious Monster. <laughs> oh, good job. And he did. He did. And he came on tour with us. <laughs> he got nicknamed The Hedge because he had a flat Perfect, top. perfect pompadour that went up like three inches and then flat across. Wow. <laughs> and so we called him The Hedge. And he's basically how Thelonious Monster survived. His credit card. And he, like, I think it was his mom's credit card. Wow. And so then I didn't really, once I knew that Louie had a credit card, I was like, we don't really need to play for 12 people. Let's just go to Austin. <laughs> hmm. Let's just keep moving to where people want to hear us play. Is the hedge still around? The hedge ended up managing the Red Hot Chili Peppers. How about that? Wow. How about that for the greatest high school dropout story in the history of mankind? That's a good one. Right? That used to happen. Shit like that used to happen. That's why Melrose is famous, because shit like that used to happen. He did the tour managing, right? Yeah, he did the tour managing. And does he do it? He doesn't do it still, though. He doesn't do it still. Now he's going to be a KDAC counselor, I hear. Nice. Wow. A lot of people are getting into it. You don't, you don't I, think that's I, good? I, I think it's I, good. I, I, think I don't it's, know. Think, think long and hard. Too many you, counselors? You better be dedicated. You better not be in it for the money. I think a lot of people were in it for the career. That's not a negative thing. People get in, if you got to go to school for two years and get supervised working for free for a thousand hours, you should be planning 2000. to make, well, it was, I lied two, about my thousand hours. It's, it's <laughs> two, 2000, 2020 plus the, but you get paid nowadays, right? You can get paid um, for the, you can, if you can find a job, they can supervise your hours. See, that was illegal when I was doing it in 99. See, but you can't get eight hours a day, so it takes forever. Because it does? It, because, like, if if you're doing an experiential thing, like you're walking somewhere, you're going on the boat, or you're going to the beach, or, that doesn't count as your hours. Doesn't? It only counts if you're running a group or charting, doing one-on-one. Well, you can chart going on a boat. Yeah, but it's an experiential. It's not a... Uh, it's not a core group. Wow, there's so many rules, Mike. You know what the rules were when I was certified, when I got certified in 99, I think. I don't know. Uh, Buddy Arnold said I'm good. <laughs> that was the rule. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. No, Buddy, I, hey, Buddy what, got irritated that I kept asking him to sign my hours off, and he said, how many hours do you need? And I said, a thousand. He goes, get a bunch of pins and write it all up, and I'll sign it all at once. And, See, I, uh, the, and I, I was junky enough to know, don't hand that all in at one time. I knew like, uh, I've got like six pieces of paper of all these different days that I worked and all these different hours and, you know, filled it out and filled it out. And I think there was like, you know, like a regular page of, of lines, you know, 20 signatures on one page. And so he signed like 10 in one sitting. 
just signed his name, give him another pen, sign a name, signed it all the way down. So I had all my hours supervised within a couple of months of graduating. But I did not stupidly go in and say, hey, I've done all my hours. Give me my KDAC certification card. I slowly dripped it, it's called, by the internet people. I dripped it. Hey. You know, that's kind of a that's kind of an old school twelve step approach, though, because <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm talking about. Like Buddy Arnold was like that twelve old school. He knew I he knew I cared. I don't think he would have done that for an asshole. I know, right? No, what I'm saying is, you know, like when somebody comes in with a court card, if they don't want to stay, I just sign and tell yeah, them, go fine. ahead, go ahead, Get a bunch of pens. Uh, I tell them, I tell them, go ahead. You can just sign it yourself. Do you want to know a new thing that I did that they didn't like? And I was doing it at Tropical when I first started seeing this abomination on the AA Nation. House cards from for-profit sober livings. I'm not your fucking babysitter. I don't give a fuck about your sober living. They're making money off of housing a drug addict. They have no right to have house cards signed. It's not in the AA Doc, doc, doctrine the court cards are sober living house meeting house lists are not and people just change okay i'll sign that for you i said no tell the people who own your fucking rehab why don't why are they not here with you at the meeting you know and the guy's like and then one guy's like dude come on bob i gotta sign it. i said you can sign it yourself and I, he goes the, i've already done that and got caught i said well don't be stupid. Get somebody else here to sign it. But I am not signing it. I sign court cards. I do not sign for-profit sober livings house slips. No, they should be sending somebody with them. It's a very different thing. That's like, uh, that's, we don't require, you know, it's part of treatment these days where I love the fact that they don't want you to talk about 12-step at all for the six hours a day. Then take them to a meeting. But <laughs> make sure they get to meetings every night and every insurance case manager, every... every. Do they have a sponsor? Yeah. That was so shocking to me. Mike, do you know that insurance companies ask us if the client has a sponsor? And what step they're working. What step are they on? It's so weird, but they don't... I, I don't know. It's the weirdest world, the recovery industry. But getting back to it, I just think proper assessment getting people the treatment that they need and and uh suboxone provides a baseline survival that's all it's for it's not a lifelong solution to addiction it's not a solution for 40 year old high functioning people who just want to avoid detox for five days it's a solution for kids who are being shot up with narcan time and time again because they stopped breathing and their heart has stopped beating that's the solution for it. To it's better than death. It's not better than sobriety. Is that clear enough? Yeah, that's and it, isn't that funny how that's something that I don't think I would have agreed with a year ago. But it's it, better than death. Yeah, right. And it's but it's one of those I have to be willing to let my opinions grow and change with new information. I have to remain open-minded in Were this you, business. But you weren't. Here's the thing that's insidious about Suboxone as opposed to Methadone. Methadone is out in the open. Suboxone is very secretive, right? Mm -hmm. Because the example okay. being, like, it had been an institution in NA. When I started coming in 84, people who were on Methadone had a way of saying it in their speech, in their chair, right? So I've been clean from all mind-altering substances since October 7th, 1976. I'm, I'm still on methadone. 
methadone, but um, of an active, you know, they 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 always stated it. The Suboxone doctors are telling the clients who are on it that it's nobody's business what goes on between mm -hmm. you and your doctor. It is everybody's business. But, uh, you know, I just want everyone to know, like, don't give up. Anything's possible. I'm living testament to that. Chuck's living testament to that. Mike is living, Mike is double living testament to that. Um, I knew a lot about sobriety and one of the, for years and years, like we're talking, I was going in and out for nine years. I knew the program. And if there's one thing I knew was what that methadone clinic knew. Mike Mart will never be sober. And Mike Mart, <laughs> and Mike Mart is sober longer than anyone I know. You, are you 29 years sober? No, I'm 25. 25 years sober. Yeah. Still seems, that's a quarter of a century. That's ridiculous. That yeah, is ridiculous. Why would anybody want to be sober What that were you going to say, Mike? Oh. <laughs> the thing that we have in common with people who aren't sober yet is we agree that getting high on heroin and opiates is the best feeling you can feel in the entire world. It really is. I'll admit that. It is. It comes with a price. We know what it feels like, but it feels better to be sober. It, does, it really does. I'll tell you one thing that is true. You will either die of it or you will get sober. That is a fact. That is everyone I know who two, has yeah. the disease. Yeah, if you're if you're like me, and if you're like no, eventually, if you're like you, but you're not then, old yeah. enough. A friend of mine just died on January nineteenth, right? He's been using every day since nineteen eighty four, right? Okay. He he really died decades ago, because now we've all been reminiscing about him. Every conversation I've had with people who loved him in the last i just found out last wednesday or thursday everyone i know that's talked about him it's all we're talking about 1984 1985 so I don't know of anybody that 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 doesn't die from it. You okay. you perish off this earth much much later than when you really die. You know, in one way or another, right? Yeah. And, and that's the insidiousness. Well, that's the insidious part of of the disease or whatever it is that we're we're talking about here is because that decision to go back knowing damn well what is waiting. And what the consequences will be don't matter. The fact that I chose to go back after a, a year sober. He was a smart, smart guy. And he was like, Bob, I feel safe with you. I don't know that I could face. And he listed a lot of our friends. And I was like, dude, you don't have to worry about those people. Those people love you. You see them in due time. You don't, because he felt like if he's going to be sober, he has to be back integrated and explain the 20 years and talk about. And he was so he was so fragile i said dude you don't have to do anything but not take drugs and just hang out with me for a while and then the next thing will happen don't worry about talking to so-and-so your old business partner don't worry about fucking the people you know are shocked by your appearance don't worry about that you can change your appearance you can change everything will evolve just have faith in this just don't right? die man that's it don't die and so 
uh, he just, it was too overwhelming. Like he had no mm. teeth at all. I said, John had no teeth. He just get teeth implants. It'll be fine. You know, and he was, he just, he looked like death. He had been smoking crack and drinking vodka for 25 years. Right. Thanks. And, but his twinkle was back in his eye. We were talking about Uriah Heep and Peter Frampton and, <laughs> and stuff we did yeah. back in the day and, yeah. and reminiscing. And we really, he came alive. And I Get was, sober, people. And I'm telling you, it can happen for you tonight, baby. All right. See you later, everybody. Night, Don't everybody. die. Don't die, man. Hey, this is Bob, and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake, 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you to call. <laughs>